Book Ten, Chapter Two of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Ten, Chapter Two: A Narrative. It was four o'clock in the morning when Melmond returned. Camilla rushed to the street door to meet him. His silence and his mournful air announced his ill success. She wrung her hands in anguish, and besought him to send instantly an express to Etherington with the fatal tidings. He went himself to the nearest stables, desiring she would prepare a letter while he got a man and horse for the journey. In scrawling and indistinct characters she then wrote, Oh, my father, our Eugenia has disappeared. She was lost last night at the opera. Mr. Bellamy was conducting her to Mrs. Burlington's coach, but we have seen neither of them since. What, what must we do? Melmond wrote the address, which her hand could not make legible, and Miss Markland prepared for the post a laboured vindication to Sir Hugh of her own conduct upon this occasion. Indiana was long gone to bed. She was really very sorry, but she was really much tired, and she could do, as she said, no good. But Mrs. Burlington felt an alarm for Eugenia, and an astonishment concerning Bellamy, that would fully have wakened her faculties, had she been wholly unmoved by the misery of Camilla. Far other was, however, her nature, gentle, compassionate, and sympathising, and her own internal disturbance, though great even beyond her own conception, why sunk at sight with the excessive wretchedness which disordered her poor friend. There could be but one possible opinion of this disastrous adventure, which was that Bellamy had spirited this young creature away to secure her fortune by her hand. Melmond again went forth, to make inquiry at all the stables in London for any carriage that might have been hired for a late hour, and at six o'clock, in great perturbation, he came back, saying he had just traced that she was put into a chaise and four from a hackney coach, that the chaise was hired in Piccadilly and engaged for a week. He was now determined to ride post himself in the pursuit, that, if any accidental delay retarded them, he might recover her before she arrived at Gretna Green, whither he could not doubt she was to be conveyed, but as she could not be married by force, his presence might yet be in time to prevent persecution or foul play. Camilla nearly embraced him with transport at this ray of hope, and, leaving his tenderest condolments for Indiana, whom he implored his sister to watch sedulously, he galloped northwards. His heart was most sincerely in the business. What he owed to the noble conduct which the high sentiments and pure regard of Eugenia had dictated, had excited a tender veneration, which made him hold his life as too small an offering to be refused for her service, if its sacrifice could essentially show his gratitude and often his secret mind had breathed a wish that her love of literature had been instilled into her cousin, though he studiously checked as profane 
or that was not admiration of that most exquisite workmanship of nature mrs burlington wanted not to be told this proceeding was wrong yet still found it impossible to persuade herself eugenia would not soon think it right though eugenia was the creature that she most revered in the whole world and though with bellamy himself she felt irritated and disappointed camilla in every evil reverted to the loss of edgar whose guardian care had she preserved him would have preserved she thought her loved eugenia the express from etherington brought back only a few lines written by lavinia with an account that mr tyrold in deep misery was setting out post for scotland a week passed thus in suspense nearly intolerable to camilla before melmon returned always upon the watch she heard his voice and flew to meet him in their dressing-room he was at the feet of indiana to whom he was pouring forth his ardent lamentations at this long deprivation of her sight but joy had evidently no part in his tenderness camilla saw at once depression and evil tidings and sinking upon a chair could scarcely pronounce have you not then found her i have left her but this minute he answered in a tone the most melancholy ah you have then seen her you have seen my dearest eugenia oh mr melmond why have you left her at all it was long before he could answer he besought her to compose herself he expressed the extremest solicitude for the uneasiness of indiana whose eternal interruptions of dear where is she dear why did she not come back dear who took her away he attributed to the agitation of the fondest friendship and conjured while tears of terror started into his eyes that she would moderate the excess of her sensibility it seems the peculiar province of the lover to transfuse all that he himself most prizes and thinks praiseworthy into the breast of his chosen object nor is he more blind to the defects with which he may abound than prodigal in gifts of virtues which exist but in his own admiration and my father my poor father cried camilla you have seen nothing of my father pardon me i have just left him also and not with eugenia yes they are together rapture now defied all apprehension with camilla the idea of eugenia restored to her father was an idea of entire happiness but her joy affected melmond yet more than her alarm he could not let her fasten upon any false expectations he bid his sister aid him to support indiana and then with all the gentleness of the sincerest concern confessed that eugenia was married before she was overtaken this was a blow for which camilla was still unprepared she concluded it a forced marriage horror froze her veins her blood no longer flowed her heart ceased to beat she fell lifeless on the ground her recovery was more speedy than it was happy and she was assisted to her chamber no longer asking any questions no longer desiring further information all was over of hope and the particulars seemed immaterial since the catastrophe was as irreversible as it was afflicting 
Mrs. Burlington still attended her, grieved for her suffering, yet believing that Eugenia would be the happiest of women, though in indignation the most forcible, mingled with her surprise at the conduct of Bellamy. This dread sort of chasm in the acuteness of the feelings of Camilla lasted not long, and Mrs. Burlington then brought from Melmond the following account. With the utmost speed he could use, he could not, though a single horseman, overtake them. They never, as he learnt by the way, remitted their journey, nor stopped for the smallest refreshment but at some cottage. At length, in the last stage to Gretna Green, he met them upon their return. It was easy to him to see that his errand was vain, and the knot indissolubly tied, by the blinds being down and the easy air with which Bellamy was looking around him. Eugenia sat back in the chaise with a handkerchief to her eyes. He stopped the vehicle and told Bellamy he must speak with that lady. "'That lady, sir,' he proudly answered, "'is my wife. Speak to her, therefore, but in my hearing.' Eugenia at this dropped her handkerchief and looked up. Her eyes were sunken to her head by weeping, and her face was a living picture of grief. Melmond loudly exclaimed, "'I come by the authority of her friends, and I demand her own account of this transaction.' "'We are now going to our friends,' replied he, "'ourselves, and we shall send them no messages.' He then ordered the postillion to drive on, telling him at his peril to stop no more. Eugenia, in a tone but just audible, saying, Adieu, Mr. Melmond, adieu. To have risked his life in her rescue at such a moment seemed to him nothing. Could he but more certainly have ascertained her own wishes and real situation? But, as she attempted neither resistance nor remonstrance, he concluded Bellamy spoke truth, and if they were married, he could not unmarry them, and if they were going to her friends, they were doing all he could now exact. He resolved, however, to follow, and if they should turn any other road, to call for assistance till he could investigate the truth. They stopped occasionally for refreshments at the usual inns, and travelled no more in the dark, but Bellamy never lost sight of her, and Melmond, in watching, observed that she returned to the chaise with as little opposition as she quitted it, though weeping always, and never for a voluntary moment uncovering her face. Bellamy seemed always most assiduous in his attentions. She never appeared to repulse him, nor to receive from him any comfort. On the second day's journey, just as Bellamy had handed her from the chaise at the inn where they meant to dine, and which Melmond as usual entered at the same time, he saw Mr. Tyrold hurrying, but so shaking he could scarcely support himself, from a parlour whence he had seen them alight into the passage. The eyes ever downcast of Eugenia perceived him not till she was clasped in mute agony in his arms. She then looked up, saw who it was, and fainted away. Bellamy, though he knew him not, supposed who he might be, and his reverend appearance seemed to impress him with awe. Nevertheless, he was himself seizing the now senseless Eugenia to convey her to some room, when Mr. Tyrold, reviving from indignation, fixed his eyes upon his face and said, "'By what authority, sir?' 
"'Do you presume to take charge of my daughter?' "'By the authority,' he answered, "'of a husband.' Mr. Tyrold said no more. He caught at the arm of Melmond, though he had not yet seen who he was, and Bellamy carried Eugenia into the first vacant parlour, followed only by the woman of the house. Melmond then, respectfully, and filled with the deepest commiseration, sought to make himself known to Mr. Tyrold, but he heard him not. He heeded no one. He sat down upon a trunk, accidentally in the passage where all this had passed, saying, but almost without seeming conscious that he spoke aloud, This, indeed, is a blow to break both our hearts. Melmond then stood silently by, for he saw, by his folded hands and uplighted eyes, he was ejaculating some prayer, after which, with a countenance more firm, and limbs better able to sustain him, he rose, and moved towards the parlour into which the fainting Eugenia had been carried. Melmond then again spoke to him by his name. He recollected the voice, turned to him, and gave him his hand, which was of an icy coldness. "'You are very kind, Mr. Melmond,' he said. "'My poor girl!' but stopped, checking what he meant to add, and went to the parlour door. It was locked. The woman of the house had left it, and said— the lady was recovered from her fit. Mr. Tyrold, from a thousand feelings, seemed unable to demand admission for himself. He desired Melmond to speak and claim an audience alone for him with his daughter. Bellamy opened the door with a look evidently humbled and frightened, yet affecting perfect ease. When Melmond made known his commission, Eugenia, starting up, exclaimed, "'Yes!' "'Yes, I will see my dear father alone, and, oh, that this poor frame might sink to rest on his loved bosom!' "'In a moment, in a moment!' cried Bellamy, motioning Melmond to withdraw. "'Tell Mr. Tyrold he shall come in a moment.' Melmond was forced to retreat, but heard him hastily say, as again he fastened the door, "'My life, O oh Eugenia, is in your hands.' "'And is it thus you requite my ardent love and constancy?' Mr. Tyrold now would wait but a few minutes. It was palpable Bellamy feared the interview, and he could fear it but from one motive. He sent him, therefore, word by Melmond, that if he did not immediately retire, and leave him to a conference alone with his daughter, he would apply no more for a meeting till he claimed it in a court of justice.' Bellamy soon came out, bowed obsequiously to Mr. Tyrold, who passed him without notice, and who was then for half an hour shut up with Eugenia. Longer Bellamy could not endure. He broke in upon them, and it left the room no more. Soon after, Mr. Tyrold came out, his own eyes now as red as those of the weeping bride. He took Melmond apart, thanked him for his kindness, but said nothing could be done. He entreated him, therefore, to return to his own happier affairs, adding, I cannot talk upon this miserable event. Tell Camilla her sister is, for the present, going home with me, though not, alas, alone. Tell her, too, I will write to her upon my arrival at Etherington. This, concluded Mrs. Burlington, 
is all my brother has to relate. All that for himself he adds is, that if ever to something human the mind of an angel was accorded, that mind seems enshrined in the heart of Eugenia. Nothing that Camilla had yet experienced of unhappiness had penetrated her with feelings of such deadly woe as this event. Eugenia, from her childhood, had seemed marked by calamity. Her ill-health, even from infancy, and her subsequent misfortunes had excited in her whole house the tenderest pity, to which the uncommon character with which she grew up had added respect and admiration. And the strange and almost continual trial she had had to encounter from the period of her attaining her fifteenth year, which far from souring her mind had seemed to render it more perfect, had now nearly sanctified her in the estimation of them all. To see her, therefore, fall at last a sacrifice to deceit or violence, for one, if not both, had palpably put her into the possession of Bellamy, was a grief more piercingly wounding than all she had yet suffered. Whatever she had personally to bear, she constantly imagined some imprudence or impropriety had provoked. But Eugenia, while she appeared to her so blameless that she could merit no evil, was so amiable that willingly she would have borne for her their united portions. How it had been effected, since force would be illegal, still kept amazement joined to sorrow, till the promised letter arrived from Mr. Tyrold with an account of the transaction. Eugenia, parted from Miss Margland by Bellamy in the crowd, was obliged to accept his protection, which till then she had refused, to restore her to her company. The coach, he said, he knew, had orders to wait in Pall Mall, whither the other ladies would be conveyed in chairs, to avoid danger from the surrounding carriages. She desired to go also in a chair, but he hurried her by quick surprise into a hackney coach, which he said would be more speedy, and, bidding the man drive to Pall Mall, seated himself opposite to her. She had not the most remote suspicion of his design, as his behaviour was even coldly distant, though she wondered Pall Mall was so far off, and that the coachman drove so fast, till they stopped at a turnpike, and then, in one quick and decided moment, she comprehended her situation, and made an attempt for her own deliverance, but he prevented her from being heard, and the scenes that followed she declined relating. Yet what she would not recount she could not, to the questions of her father, deny, that force from that moment was used to repel all her efforts for obtaining help and to remove her into a chaise. Mr. Tyrold required to hear nothing more to establish a prosecution and to seize her publicly from Bellamy, but from this she recoiled. No, my dear father, she continued, the die is cast and I am his. Solemn has been my vow, sacred I must hold it. She then briefly narrated that though violence was used to silence her at every place where she sought to be rescued, every interval was employed by Bellamy in the humblest supplications for her pardon and most passionate protestations of regard, all beginning and all ending in declaring that to live longer without her was impossible and pledging his ardent attachment for obtaining her future favour, spending the period from stage to stage or turnpike to turnpike 
and kneeling to beseech forgiveness for the desperation to which he was driven by the most cruel and hopeless passion that ever seized the heart of man when they were near their journey's end he owned that his life was in her hands but he was indifferent whether he lost it from the misery of living without her or from her vengeance of this last struggle of his despair she assured him his life was safe and offered him pardon upon condition of immediate restoration to her friends but suddenly producing a pistol now then he said o oh, amiable object of my constant love bless me with your hand or prepare to see me die at your feet and with a terrifying oath he bound himself not to lose her and outlive her loss she besought him to be more reasonable with the gentlest prayers but his vehemence only increased she offered him every other promise he could name but he preferred death to every other she should grant she then pronounced though in trembling a positive refusal instantly he lifted up his pistol and calling out forgive then o hard-hearted eugenia my uncontrollable passion and shed a tear over the corpse i am going to prostrate at your feet was pointing it to his temple when overcome with horror she caught his arm exclaiming ah stop i consent to what you please it was in vain she strove afterwards to retract one scene followed another till he had bound her by all she herself held sacred to rescue him from suicide by consenting to the union he found a person who performed the marriage ceremony on the minute of her quitting the chaise she uttered not one word she was passive scared and scarce alive but resisted not the eventful ring with which he encircled her finger and seemed rousing as from a dream upon hearing him call her his wife he professed eternal gratitude and eternal devotion but no sooner was all conflict at an end than consigning herself wholly to grief she wept without intermission when mr tyrold had heard her story abhorrence of such barbarous force and detestation of such foul play upon the ingenuous credulity of her nature made him insist yet more strongly upon taking legal measures for procuring an immediate separation and subsequent punishment but the reiterated vows with which since the ceremony he had bound her to himself so forcibly awed the strict conscientiousness of her principles that no representations could absolve her opinion of what she now held her duty and while she confessed her unhappiness at a connection formed by such cruel means she conjured him not to increase it by rendering her in her own estimation perjured patiently therefore continued mr tyrold we must bear what vainly we should combat and bow down to those calamities of which the purpose is hidden no fancy nor good is answered because none is obvious man develops but little though he experiences much the time will come for his greater diffusion of knowledge let him meet it without dread by using worthily his actual portion i resign myself therefore with reverence to this blow 
though none yet has struck so hardly at my heart. We must now do what we can for this victim to her own purity, by seeking means to secure her future independence, and by bettering, if possible, her betrayer. What a daughter, what a sister, what a friend, has her family thus lost? How will your poor mother receive such killing tidings? Misfortune, sickness, and poverty, she has heroism to endure, but innocence oppressed through its own artlessness, and inexperienced dupe by villainy will shake her utmost firmness and harass into disorder her as yet unbroken powers of encountering adversity alas no evils that visited the early years of this loved child have proved to her so grievous as the large fortune with which they were followed we repined my camilla at the deprivation you sustained at that period we owe to it perhaps that you have not as treacherously been betrayed how has the opening promise of our eugenia more than answered our fondest expectations her knowledge is still less uncommon than her simplicity her philosophy for herself than her zeal in the service of others she is singular with sweetness peculiar yet not impracticable generous without parade and wise without consciousness yet now so sacrificed seems all that i dwell upon her excellencies as if enumerating them over her tomb a letter from lavinia contained some further particulars their father she said finding the poor victim resolute meant to spare sir hugh all that was possible of the detestable craft of bellamy and eugenia was already struggling to recover her natural serenity that she might appear before him without endangering his own bellamy talked of nothing but love and rapture yet the unsuspicious eugenia was the only person he deceived for so little from the heart seemed either his looks or his expressions that it was palpable he was acting a part to all who believed it possible words and thoughts could be divided a postscript to this letter was added by eugenia herself ah my camilla where now are all our sweet promised participations but let me not talk of myself nor do you my affectionate sister dwell upon me at this period one thing i undertook shall yet be performed the moment i am able to go to cleves i will deliver through Lavinia, what I mentioned. Does anything else remain that is yet in my power? Tell me, my Camilla, and think but with what joy you will give joy again to your Eugenia. Broken-hearted over these letters, Camilla spent her time in their perpetual perusal, in wiping from them her tears, and pressing with fond anguish to her lips the signature of her hapless sister, self-beguiled by her own credulous goodness, and self-devoted by her conscientious scruples. End of book ten, chapter two. Recording by Felicity Campbell. Book one for me dot com, Wanganui, New Zealand.